0: Welcome to Noble with Jason Noble, the podcast where we talk about HR and career issues. I'm your host, Jason Noble. We're here to share funny and interesting stories and advice in a transparent and down to earth approach. Hi, it's Jason. Welcome to the Noble podcast. Raise your hand if you've ever made a hiring mistake. I suspect everyone has, and that's okay because no one is perfect. We all make mistakes. But what do you do about that mistake and how long does it take you to act? What's the cost of not acting? Do you hope things would just get better on their own? Which brings me to my guest today, Melissa Kwan. Melissa is the co-founder and CEO of eWebinar, a webinar automation solution that helps companies run hundreds of webinars without needing to host them live. She was recently featured in Business Insider about wasting $450,000 because she didn't fire five wrong hires quickly enough. Startup culture has a concept of hire slow and fire fast, and we're going to discuss that today. Melissa, welcome to the Noble Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start off. Tell me about yourself and eWebinar.
1: Yeah, so myself, uh, I've been in startups for 13 years, um, three times bootstrapper. Um, My first two startups were in real estate technology. Um, eWebinar is the company I'm working on now. Um, And what we do is we turn videos into interactive webinars that you can set on a recurring schedule. So companies use us to run hundreds of demos, onboarding, training webinars every single month without actually needing to be in front of a camera to do it live. Um, I'm also, I guess, a part-time digital nomad, so uh, home in Amsterdam, but we're only here for like two, three months of the year, and the rest of the year we're, we're traveling.
0: And how long have you ha- how long have you been in business with uh, eWebinar?
1: So the company was incorporated in 2019. Um, so I guess it's been like a bit over four years now. But the product has been live for just over three years.
0: Okay. And how many employees are you up to now?
1: We don't have any employees. Uh, we exclusively work okay. with contractors, even if they are full time. Okay. Um, that's intentional as well. It's one of the things that I realized after running, you know, two startups previously is I'm actually really bad at managing people, um, and the fact that we want to be remote and, you know, just kind of call our own call our own shots and and really work at our own time. We want to be able to give that uh, luxury to our team as well. So, coming to this company, um, I made an active decision to not hire any employees at any fixed location and just hire people based on skills anywhere in the world. Um, And I would say that's a big part of why our company is even possible because we keep our burn really low um, and, you know, we don't have to compete with other bigger companies that are, that are local, I guess.
0: Yeah. You, you, so you basically create flexibility for yourself.
1: Yeah. But I also, I also think it's extremely important to create that flexibility you want to enjoy for your team as well. So you can't, I think, be founders that want that flexibility and not have that for the rest of the team. Um, and I think one of our, you know, one of the biggest missions that we have or, or the mission that we have for eWebinar is to give people back their time. So we are advocates for life design and we want to be able to, um, I guess, live an example as examples for the people that that work with us that they you know, should be able to have the exact same freedom um, that we have in in our
0: lives. So you mentioned this isn't your first startup. Uh, I and uh, you you moved to contractors on uh, for eWebinar. I guess prior to that, your your other businesses, you would hire people. Yeah, we as, had employees. As employees. For, yeah, we. Yeah. So
1: I was. Based, I guess, in, in Vancouver, but I had already started traveling um, you know, to New York. And eventually I moved to New York for a few years just to grow my previous startup. But uh, my CTO was, was in Vancouver managing the team there. And, and of course, we also had contractors on an as needed basis, but it wasn't like 100% contractors like the model that I'm running now.
0: So let, let's talk about how you traditionally, so what's your process typically to, to hire people? Like, how, how do you vet people traditionally?
1: Um, I mean, I, I think because we don't have the luxury of like testing people, um, the number one thing that I do is I only hire based on referrals. So whether it's someone that, you know, people I know and trust have worked with in the past, like individually, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, outsourcing firms that my friends have have already worked with and and vetted in the past.
0: Okay. So, so, uh, so I I read that story of uh, Business Insider. It was really interesting. That's the reason I reached out to you. So $450,000 you lost on, on um, hiring the wrong people, obviously your money, your bootstrap company. So what went wrong?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think um, like it's, it's not that we, wasted that money, like I think that money was spent. Um, and and I think a lot of times it's not like it was a bad hire, right? It was just a wrong hire for where we were. And, you know, wrong meaning, like it was just misaligned with with the place we were at, right? So for example, um, the first, I guess, 250k that we spent was on a dev shop that we wanted to build the first version of our product, um, Dev shops are very good at, you know, taking a product from one to two, but not so much from zero to one. And that was just a lesson I had to learn. It wasn't like they were a bad company, right? They were just the wrong company for what I needed them to do. And I guess I was naive enough um, because I'm not in technology and I never worked without a CTO. Like I was naive enough to think that I could start a company without a CTO because I was ju- actually just really sick of managing engineers, having no technology background. And mm-hmm. even though my previous CTO co-founder was a good friend, um, he was just not the CTO leader that, that we needed him to be. And, that, and actually a lot of friction came because of that in my previous company. So I came into this one thinking, you know what, like if I could just outsource the whole technology portion, I could just focus on the business portion. Yeah. And um, so I think that was the biggest mistake is like thinking that I could sort of see a tech company without a technology leader on my side. And um, so I think it was misaligned in the sense that like they would have been good for us later on when we already had a product that they could build on, but not from like the first line of code. So that was like a big learning there. And um, I was also, I think so green that I didn't really know when to pull the plug until I brought in like a senior, like a more senior engineer, a CTO that eventually became my CTO that started pointing out, you know, all the red flags and how they should have built things differently. And, um, and I think dev shops are, are inherently kind of misaligned with, with what you need them to do because they bill on hours or projects. So they're not really motivated to do this fast. Right. (laughs) <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so Not that's, when you're billing on hours, yeah. yeah,
1: so that's a, that was kind of a bit of a, a challenge as, yeah. as well, but you know, a big learning,
0: um, you know, overall. But you know, the, the approach you took makes sense because if you're a small company, you know, wh- where are you going to go to first? You're going to go to your network because you want to hire people that you can trust. And if it's a kind of a second connect, someone you know, who's worked with that person before you kind of figure, okay, it's going to work out. But, uh, what, what it sounds like is, uh, some of the people you hired were not the right fit for that particular stage of your business. So they may have been the right, like the dev, the dev shop may have been the right fit for, I don't know, a month or two down the road, but not at the moment that you needed them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think, as a tech company, you also just always need to have a technology leader on your side thinking about your business twenty four seven like unless you're paying them a lot um you know, for them to be on your side, like you just need someone, especially as a bootstrap company, like where you just can't afford to make these kind of mistakes too far down the line. Um, you like having a technology company without a tech lead is like having a restaurant without a chef, right? It just, it just doesn't work. (laughs) But I think there's also a flip side to like vetting through your friends. Like the second mistake that I made was literally just hiring my friends. Right. And like, not because I had vetted them carefully, but because I guess I wanted it to work. Like I wanted to trust them because they've had successes and, I just needed someone very quickly. And sometimes when you hire only based on a friendship or only based on, you know, someone who's vetted a friend, that also doesn't work, (laughs) right? So we hired people based on convenience because we just needed that to happen at that point in time. Uh, And then when you have friendships or emotions that are involved, it's also hard to pull the plug because now that friendship is is at stake, right? But it's also a part of you know, when we talk about firing fast, right, it's, it's a, it's a learning of having that confidence and the clarity to have yeah. that conversation, even if those emotions are involved.
0: So, so let's take a step back because you, you talk about how important it is when you're a tech company to hire a tech leader. So what, to, based on what you've learned so far, and we'll get into a little more detail down the road, like in a few minutes, but, um, what, What would you look for now in a tech leader? Like what is critical to you in terms of hiring a tech leader as an early stage company?
1: Yeah. So I wouldn't, when I say a tech leader, I'm talking about like a CTO co-founder that is doing this with you, right? Like, Unless you are a business founder that has like some technical background, it's just very hard to hire that person. Because I think when you hire a CTO co-founder, there's always a risk of them leaving right like so you kind of need someone who is equally as invested as you and looking sure. back like i think i should have found a co-founder cto from day 1 which which i didn't um but what i would look for is someone that is equally as invested as you right and like equally as invested meaning someone who believes in the mission and the idea as much as you that they will give up their time and potentially you know, the income that they're making with another company, like maybe they're taking part-time with a company, you know, like they're not just working for you or with you evenings and weekends, right? Because if you are in this 100%, like someone else needs to be in it, you know, as well. If the not needs to be there. Yeah, like if not 100%, like 50. Because I, yeah. uh, you know, like not everyone has the luxury of of not taking a salary for a while. and I And I fully understand that, but they can't be half in and half out right like if something goes south like they're willing to stick it out like they're not going to be the one that leaves right and it's it's hard to i guess verbalize that or even put that down on paper like it's just something that you know right it's almost like a vibe thing right it's like a feeling thing
0: yeah and, and the thing is is uh, and, and i've read like i've read a number of books on that where you know like our 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 gut feeling can be wrong sometimes, usually not, but obviously, you know, everyone makes mistakes. And you can talk to people and you can hope that someone is, you know, invested in you, but you never know 100%. But. You, you you do have to, I guess, you know, there are ways around it. There's, you know, I, I know it's tough to, to do this with you're bringing in a co-founder, but there's, you know, psychometric assessments that can be used. But ultimately, a lot of people do use their gut to figure out, is this someone who's going to stick around?
1: I mean, I would say that I've had two, co- like I've had two CTO co-founders in the past in 13 years. Um, and I always advise people that you don't have to split equity on day one, right? Like it is virtually impossible to know if you've never worked with this person before in previous companies, if they're sure. going to work out for you, right? The best way to test the co-founder and, you know, how I've done it in the past is hire them as a contractor. Like just pay them, right? Pay them what sure. they want for a, you know, a period of time, see how you work well together. And, and, you know, if, if you guys even believe in the same thing um, and if it's meant to be, right? If this person is eventually invested in the company enough to be a co-founder, then you can have that conversation about equity split and what each other's responsibilities are. Mm -hmm. But why not test that relationship by hiring them as a co-founder first and then work into that relationship? And actually that's how I got to, you know, inviting, you know, my CTO as my co-founder is by, you know, just, just working with them as a contractor first.
0: Yeah, and, and how long was that period before you, you flipped over to saying, okay, you know what, this is someone that I think can be a partner in the company?
1: My first one, my first company, um, my first co-founder I, I actually was with for like, I think at least eight years and then we sold the second company. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that contracting relationship lasted at least a year. Um, and my second one, um, he's actually my, my life partner as well. He worked with us for, I guess, like three to four months, but both instances wasn't like me inviting them first. It was, it was almost like they started to ask about like, okay, so what's the future? What's the project? And I could see that they really believed in the project and the idea because they were working on it when they didn't have to. Right. Yeah. And those are kind of the signs, right? Like yeah. when you start believing the business, when, when they start asking like, where's this going? Oh, I'm, I'm actually seeing that there's more potential.
0: The and behavior, the yeah, behavior. The, exactly.
1: Yeah. so it's, it's a feeling thing. It's a vibe thing. And then yep. we start yep. expanding that yep. conversation.
0: Yep. Yep. Cause I, I'm a big believer in that a lot of, obviously a lot of people say things, but it's, it's how you act. It's yeah. actually proving it, showing that you're actually going to do what you say you're going to do. That's where kind of the push comes to shove.
1: Well, I mean, you are From
0: what you do, right? You're not, you're not <laughs> well, exactly. what you say you do. Exactly. But that, that's the thing, exactly.
1: right? Yeah. Everybody, I think, thinks they are who they want to be, right? If they if yeah. that makes sense. It's it's almost like you come yeah. into an interview, right? Like you, you're or you take an exam, right? You are who you say you wanna yeah. be, or you think you wanna be. Yeah. But it's really like who, what you, what you do and how you act when you're in that environment. And it's the exact same thing when we hire new people,
0: yeah.
1: right? Like there's been multiple instances where, you know, we, we hire someone based on their incredible attitude. And then yeah. a few weeks later, they actually just stop showing up and, yeah. you know, yeah. and then that's a different conversation. it's.
0: Cause it's a show. Some people, you know, it's like going on stage or being in a movie, right? You can put on an act and, and that's what, like, I'm personally a big advocate of, per, of, uh, personality assessments because the, you, you get to the, the root of someone's behavior. It's not just about, you know, a two hour interview or yeah. uh, you know, two, one hour interview, whatever that is, but you get to get a sense of how people are over a period of time. Yeah. So, so let's talk about. Um, so so obviously you made these mistakes. How long did you wait before taking action?
1: I mean, each one is very different. Um, I would say, like with the case of the development shop that we just talked about, it was like a year in, um, and it was a year in when David, my my now CTO co-founder, started to help out because the like it just wasn't working. Right, we hired them to build a product and it wasn't working, and. David is my life partner. So he's hearing all this stuff. And he's like, well, if I'm looking at this and this is wrong, this is wrong. And I'm like, well, you know what? Like, I actually don't know what they're doing. So I can't really critique it. And also when you critique something and the person you hired or the company you hired is like, oh, we're going to fix it. Then they're going to fix it. Like, there's no reason for me to doubt them at the time. And so when David was making these comments beside me, I'm like, well, why don't you just help out? And as he was helping out, things started working again. And I don't know code. I don't know software, but I know good software from bad software because good software starts to work and bad software doesn't work. <laughs> so at the time I was like, well, why don't, you know, why don't I just end this relationship with this company? Because, you know, we it's, it's not working for both sides and then bring you in as, as a CTO co-founder, like if things work. Um, so that took, that took about a year. Um, but you know, all the other mistakes that we made, like hiring, the wrong person or bringing in a digital marketing agency too early. Those things take anywhere from three to six months, right? Because there's a part of you that wants it to work. Like even though your gut feeling is like, okay, I don't think this is working because you're a bootstrap company and it's already so hard to get someone to work with you. Right. Because they could like in in your mind, you're like, okay, well, they can work with anyone else. So there's there's a part of you that wants this to work so bad that you're like, well, maybe I'm being too harsh or maybe I'm setting unrealistic expectations. Um, And you also want to give a chance for the other side to, you know, to to work out the kings and, you know, people are just onboarding. So. It, it shouldn't take that long in hindsight, but in reality, there are so many things involved in making a decision to telling someone that they're not a good fit. Cause you right. also think maybe, maybe you're being too hard on them.
0: Right. 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 And and, and that's the tough part because, uh, you know, most people take anywhere from six to 12 months to kind of get up to speed, especially if you're, uh, in a new industry or, you know, Learning a job for the first time, right? Because you, you gotta you gotta really figure out the product, the people, the process, all that good stuff, right? And then there obviously emotions get in the way. So there's some people who you know look at being let go quickly and think about, well, hold on a sec, wait, I wasn't really given a chance. And there's two sides to every story. Your side is obviously the owner side is, hey, look, it's my money. Like I have to run a business. Yeah, I have to make sure things get done. The other side is. Oh my God, I wasn't given a chance.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, the, the other, one of the other mistakes that I actually forgot about um, was we brought in, you know, an executive that has only worked for big companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but has, you know, and, and I've known him like a friend is kind of a loose term, but I've known him professionally, um, you know, in the, in the last few years before he started working with us and He'd always presented himself and I believe him as like kind of an intrapreneur, right? Like a creative person within a bigger company. And it took us 13, not, not 13, sorry, um, 11 months to to come to that decision. But it was a particularly painful one because, you know, it cost us 130000 that we didn't have. He was the highest paid person on our team. I have not paid myself a salary for, you know, since we started the company our CTO and our COO was, was getting paid way less than him, um, but we, we wanted it to work because he was a revenue position. And it was particularly hard because he'd had a lot of successes in his career, but only within medium to large size companies. And I know he was trying his best. Mm-hmm. And that position, I came to realize, you know, months later that it was just too early for our company right? So he was too early for what we needed him to do, right? Mm -hmm. So he was a revenue position, but when you work for a big company, it's much easier to promote a company that is public, right? That already has a mailing list, right? That already has credibility, but we're a tiny company. We are a cool product, but we don't have the trust and credibility. So when you try to engage an influencer, or when you try to engage another company and you have a mailing list of 500 people or a thousand people, it's not that impactful. And, you know, it was so hard because he was getting paid so much and he was trying so hard and he had become a friend, but in 11 months we could only attribute about 500, 500 bucks a month that was attributed to that position. And we were paying him like 11,000 bucks a month, right? So,
0: the math doesn't work.
1: It it just doesn't work, but it was just so hard, right? So even though we talk about firing fast, and I think it triggers a lot of people, like firing fast does not mean getting rid of someone right away. Like all of these things are happening in the background. And I think a lot of times when we talk about firing fast, especially as as a small company, like, it's something we hope to aspire to and get better at, but it's not actually something that it's easy for us to do.
0: Yeah, because you're dealing with not only the person's lives, but, you know, maybe the person's got a family and now you're impacting yeah. other people as well. So it's it's not that simple. But, I, I you know, I, I hear where you're coming from because ultimately, um, you know, there are uh, you know that you, uh, like I said, you're dealing with people's lives, and and uh, it, it's always a shame to have to, you know, remove someone from the company. Has there? There's also some people who do try and relocate someone from one job to another. Maybe someone's not the right fit for that particular job, um, or maybe someone needs to be, you know, removed from the company. Like, I, I don't like to say removed from the company, but basically, uh, you part ways. So, um, talk to me about, uh, so what does FireFast, what have you learned in terms of FireFast? What does that let you do?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think when you talk about like people's lives, like I want to add to that too, is what I've, what I've learned is like, especially when you're burning cash for a bootstrap company that you don't really have, um, It's not just that one person's life, right? The other side of that is the lives of the people who are on your team that you do need to support, right? So the sooner we run out of cash, the sooner I need to figure out how to take care of the people who are on the team. So it's like one person's life versus 10 others and mine, because I have invested... Right now, four years of my time to make sure this business works, to support the livelihood of all those other people. So that's also the flip side. And the other thing that we don't think about, right, is when you have someone on your team that isn't a great cultural fit, everyone else also knows that. So it's like a B player versus A players, right? The only way to keep A players on your team is to continue to curate an environment where A players thrive. And A players don't thrive if there is a B player or a C player on the team that is being mm-hmm. tolerated, yeah. right? And that's something that I've learned is like as a business owner that has such limited people on the team, like when one person doesn't perform, it, it's really obvious. And it's, it's
0: demotivating, isn't
1: it? It's demotivating. And I've been in that position because I've yeah. worked for for Me smaller too. teams before. Yep. Yep. And I'm like, why? why is that person still there? why am I performing, right, to 110% when that person's behavior is being tolerated and that person's at 50%, mm-hmm. right? So yep. I've, I've come to have, like, more clarity in that, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. like, what I've come to learn is I need to have the confidence to have those emotional conversations for the benefit of everyone else and the business that I'm building. And yeah. it's continuous improvement. Right, not I. Don't, I don't think people are like born to have those great conversations, especially if you're more <laughs> empathetic. You
0: learn, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, but the the way to have better conversations is number one is like recognizing that you need to have that first, and not yeah. deluding yourself. Because yeah. every day yeah. you drag on is actually worse for everyone else. But also having mentors and peers that have had those before to yeah. teach you like how to have those conversations in in a more like. I guess empathetic and uh, empathetic way.
0: Yeah, the the other thing um, that that uh, so besides uh, avoiding d you know demotivating employees is uh, you know having the right people can also help your brand uh, because you know if you if you bring on someone who, let's say the person can do the job but has the wrong attitude, you know what if the person's high up and creates fear? So I'm, I watching it, this just funny enough. I, I'm watching on Netflix a series called Black Mirror. And there was an episode I watched called USS Callister. and it was about this uh, co-founder CTO who's very meek. Uh, in his job, but he creates this fantasy space where he takes charge. And what he's doing is he's telling people what to do. And you see how people are just demotivated by it. And, and this, uh, obviously, it's sci fi, but it it does ring true. in a lot of workspaces where, um, where someone just is ego driven, doesn't care about other people. It's just all about me. So that's, that's another thing that uh, can be avoided as well in terms of, um, you know, not having the right person on your team.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing I've learned is like um, when a lot of this was happening, I was also kind of keeping it to myself because I didn't want other people on my team to think that I was making a wrong decision or that I was knowingly keeping someone on the team, even though I was having some doubts. And it wasn't until months later that I brought this up, you know, in different scenarios, right, to my co-founder and my my COO. And it turns out that, like, they were also having some of the same doubts. So, you know, obviously I brought these guys on my team because I trust them. And I think I should have brought it up earlier so we could have a more open conversation, especially yeah. when it's new people. And we are, were remote. So the time that we have, you know, spent with new people on our team is actually fairly limited, right? It's only through whether it's like, you know, stand-up calls or one-on-one calls, or maybe they have one-on-one calls separately without me. So um, it's like, I, I guess like what I've learned is I should have done more of a gut check with people I trust on my team earlier um, so that these things, you know, could be avoided as well.
0: Yep. Yeah. um, anything else that, uh, you learned out of this you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that I've learned is like, um, you know, when I share these mistakes, people are are, are quick to say, well, that's why I never hire friends. Right. I'm like, even though I've hired friends that I've had, you know, some mishaps, like it doesn't deter me from doing that because sometimes your friend is just the best person (laughs) for what you need them to do.
0: Yeah. And you trust, you trust your friend, right? Or you should.
1: Yeah. And I think what I've learned from this also is, um, bringing this up before you bring someone to the team, right? Just, just be honest and say, Hey, this is the experience I've had with hiring friends. And in the past, I've not been able to have these conversations early enough because, you know, of whatever reason. And, I just wanted to bring this up to you because I want us to have an honest relationship that if it doesn't work out on either side, let's give each other the permission to bring that up without affecting our friendship.
0: Yeah. So easier said than done. Yeah. But having,
1: having that up front, I think um, avoids the awkwardness of just dragging this on. Um, And so I've, I've, I have since then still brought, you know, friends on the team, but, I've in the beginning gave each other permission, you know, to, yeah. to bring that up first.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're just going to head into, um, a segment that I call the noble round. It's just a series of two or three quick Q and a. So, uh, I saw on LinkedIn, you just went to a burning man. Was that your first time?
1: Uh, no, I went once in 2019.
0: So what drew you to it?
1: I mean, I, um, so David and I, David's my, my life partner, who I mentioned is also my co-founder CTO. We just love having fun. Like the reason we build a company that's remote, um, that is a lifestyle company is because we want to spend time enjoying ourselves and enjoying the fruits of our labor and going to events like that, parties like
0: that is actually just how we enjoy our life. So besides Burning Man, what do you like to do for fun?
1: We go to a lot of parties. <laughs> we, go <to> a, <laughs> we go to a lot of festivals. Um, it's one of the reasons that we, we you know, built a home in Amsterdam because it has a lot of that culture um, as yeah. well. Uh, but we travel a lot. We love like enjoying different, you know, foods and culture and meeting new people.
0: Yeah, good for you. Life is short, so you got to enjoy it. So last question, if you could go back and give your 25-year-old self one piece of advice, what would that be?
1: Outside of invest all your money in Bitcoin and pull it out early (laughs) so you (laughs) never have to work again. Um, Outside of that, I would say don't start companies based on your experience, uh, but start a company based on what makes you happiest. Um, I started my first company when I was 27 and built two companies based on what I knew, which was a background in real estate. And so that's why I had two companies in real estate tech, but it's just not like, not an industry, which I loved. It's an industry where I had experience in, and that's why I think for 10 years, I was never fully content and fully happy. I was always a bit uncomfortable and, Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't until after I sold my previous company that I had the luxury and time to think about, like, if I were to spend the next 10 years, what would it be? And then I made a list of 10 non-negotiables on what would make me happy in my life and then I eliminated a bunch of ideas that didn't fit into that. So don't think you need to start a company based on your education and where you're experienced because you can always learn what it takes to make it successful.
0: Focus on your passion then. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. So I'll put it in the show notes, but how can people reach you?
1: Uh, the best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn. My last name is spelt Kwan, K-W-A-N, first name Melissa. And uh, if you're wondering about eWebinar, how it can help your business or, or help free your time, just go to eWebinar.com. There's a demo that you can join that um, I host as well. So any questions about the product or myself, uh, just type it in the chat box.
0: Melissa, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate us and spread the word. Do you have any questions or suggestions or are you an HR leader that has great stories and advice to share? Then send me a note at podcast at noblesearchgroup.com. That's podcast at searchgroup.com.